The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. is up everyone this is kyle brown coming to you on the on the farm podcast on the brand new and shiny pictureless podcast network i am here with the one and only andy Patton, and we are going to talk about his top 100 list that just dropped on pictureless 6.0 if you don't know about that podcast network or that 6.0 i suggest you head to pictureless.com immediately and figure out what we're talking about because you will be smarter after you do that. But, uh, but yeah, what's going on, Andy, how you doing over there? Yeah, I'm great, man. Thank you for having me on. I'm, it's kind of nice to be on this side of, uh, of the podcast since I was hosting it for a while, but I've really enjoyed listening to the few episodes that you've done and really looking forward to getting a chance to chat with you about this top 100 list. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'm very excited to be on this side of the podcast or on the side of any podcast, uh, frankly, talking about prospects because I'm already doing the work. So I may as well be talking about it and putting it on the airwaves. So absolutely. Definitely, man. Well, I'm curious, you know, so you, you dropped that top 100. I just sort of want to get right into it. When you're making this list, what are sort of the, uh, let's put it lightly, what are the existential crises that you go through when you're forming a top 100? Yeah, I mean, it's it's never easy. Uh, this is not my first time doing it, although this is my first time releasing a solo top 100. I've done like aggregate top 100s the last few years, so nobody can see just my specific opinion. Now it's just barren out there. It's just mine. Uh, which is a little bit different. And obviously coming off a year where we did not have the minor leagues presents an incredibly new wrinkle uh, that I, one of the things that I struggle with, this is just a small thing, but I'd go to the Fangraphs player page and I'd see their age. So it says that, you know, Xavier Edwards is 22 uh, and I'd look and be like, okay, he's 22 and he was at high A and that's my brain equates like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But Xavier Edwards played at high A when he was 20. Like, and that's a the statistically, that's a big difference. I use him as an example because I ha literally have his fan graphs page up right now. But like for any player, like I have to remember that like they were, it's been a long time since they played unless they were in the big leagues last year. And so it's just, it created a whole new uh, kind of set of challenges for me uh, to answer the question just more specifically, uh, gauging how to value a, an 18 year old who hasn't come stateside versus, you know, a 24-year-old who has 127 major league at-bats is incredibly different. And obviously, 
uh, really dependent on context that we just don't have when we're making lists. You know, I may tell you that so-and-so player is ranked five spots higher, but for your team makeup, that may not make sense. If you're in an OBP league, that may not make sense. And so I think they always need to be taken with that kind of knowledge in mind. Uh, if you're tr- looking to make a trade, a prospect for a prospect trade, and you see that my rankings have one guy higher than the other, and that doesn't mean nothing, but also it, it really depends on the context of your league. And so I struggled as somebody who plays in a lot of various types of leagues. Uh, I do a lot of OBP. I do AL only. I do uh, leagues with super deep minor leagues. And so there's just these lists if I, depending on the different format, I would have these lists very, very different. And that makes it hard to kind of make one aggregate one for everybody to see. I, when reading lists, I always try to understand as best as I can mm-hmm. where, where the foundations are from the list maker. Uh, Cause it really, you know, when I'm reading, you know, long and hanging at, at fan graphs versus Keith mm-hmm. law versus, you know, like maybe the aggregate going on at the dynasty gurus, things like that. I'm, I really right. need to know, as much as I can and in terms of the context of that list. And it's challenging because, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the world of fantasy baseball is much more than five by five. And mm-hmm. I play in I play in some interesting leagues with a lot of weird categories. I play in a lot of head to head leagues. And mm-hmm. so it's it's certainly challenging. I play I play in a league right now that pitching is just it's a head to head points league. So pitching is a little bit more valuable. But I mean, it's gotten so it's a little bit more valuable with the stats, but then you get into the actual gameplay and how the managers treat the pitchers and it's out of control. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know, it almost would be worthless to have uh, Wanda Franco first because he's not going to be the most, even if he maxes out, he won't be the mm-hmm. most valuable player. The most valuable player is going to be Shane Bieber or whoever is the next Shane Bieber. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, it's super challenging. I'm, I'm curious too, um, since this is the first time I'm really sitting down with you, Mm-hmm. What would you consider, you know, we all have certain prospect attributes that we're naturally drawn to. What would you consider your prospect biases or, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, what are those little, those things you, you tend to be cluing in on for a various set of prospects that are just like, you know what, I like those types of guys. Yeah. Well, for me, I think uh, I, I'm not full on tin stop there is no such thing as a pitching prospect but i i lean hitters over pitchers in general when i format these lists if i have two players that i think are otherwise similar i'll probably lean towards the hitter just because they are a bit safer and tend to bust at a lower rate and have a lower injury risk for the most part that's not always true but in general it's more or less true uh and then from a skill perspective uh, i do tend to really value like those kind of power speed guys, especially ones that don't have the hit tool. Obviously, everybody wants guys with who, who have power and speed. That's not unique to me, but I tend to overvalue those guys, even if uh, we haven't seen the hit tool show up. Uh, and part of that is because I'm used to playing an OBP league. So if they walk a fair amount, it kind of mitigates the risk there. Like I was a huge, huge, huge Kevin Biggio guy. I still am, but I acknowledge that like where I rank him, oftentimes doesn't reflect his actual value in batting average leagues because he's a bit of a suck in that category. And so I kind of have to remember that Sean Murphy, another guy, he doesn't have the speed, obviously, but a guy that I valued a lot higher because I kind of in my brain just always (laughs) think about OBP leagues where his value is much higher. Um, But for me, the prospect guys that I like, and I've been burned by these guys, like I should say, I'm not, I don't want to claim that I'm always right about guys like this. It's the Monty Harrison's, the Lewis Brinson's, you know, Byron Buxton to an extent, like 
a lot of these guys don't pan out. And I think I just kind of wish on the, if they do get the hit tool, but we've seen there are a lot of examples of kind of the reverse effect of guys who have that strong hit tool coming up and don't necessarily have the power who are able to find the power and maintain the hit tool, or at least maintain the majority of the hit tool. And so I, I know that, and I try to put some validity in that too, but I'm still always drawn to those guys who are, you know, 19, 20 year old kids who are mashing, even if they're striking out a lot. Cause I, I feel like if they put it all together, they're going to be absolutely ludicrous. And we have seen that happen with uh, a handful of players in the past. That, that's certainly the case. I myself tend to, well, when it comes to the pitcher versus hitter thing, I tend to chase floors with pitchers. Mm-hmm. I tend to, I tend to be a little bit more attracted to a pitcher that I, that I can see as having a high floor, whether it be coming already with like a four pitch mix or a solid three pitch mix or having, you know, a really good handle on his control or command or being able to throw, you know, a lot of innings granted there's a, you know, there's, there's a certain balance you got to try to find. Obviously you, you don't mm-hmm. want to just, you know, you don't want to just be taking only the Mike leaks of the world as it were. Right. But uh, I tend to, you know, I'm generally not the guy in my leagues that has the, uh, the Micabell, uh, or the, you know, the high velocity, mm-hmm. super promising prep arm. Cause I just have seen, I've seen just too much value bottom out when it comes to those to, uh, to spend the picks that are required to get them on my team generally. So, yeah. And I think, uh, Nate Handy wrote a great article. One of our dynasty writers, uh, at pitcher list, he wrote an article about, uh, first year player guys to maybe target, uh, who could return value at where they're going right now. And he talked a lot about Reed Detmers in that article specifically for that exact reason of like Reed Detmers is pretty safe. <laughs> like the, the ceiling isn't super high and you can understand why people might want to gamble on a Micabell or even a Garrett Crochet or some of those other arms. Uh, and Reed Detmers, you know, again, the ceiling is probably pretty limited because he's not going to be a huge strikeout guy necessarily, but like these guys have value. Like he's going to have fantasy value most likely, and it might be relatively soon because he was so polished coming out of college. So I agree a hundred percent when I look at pitchers uh, and you'll see it a little bit on this list towards the end, some of the arms, some of them are some of the upside fun arms, but like Micah Bell's not on this list. And I understand that there's a lot of people who think he's a top 100 asset already. And I understand why they think that, but I'm not ready to go there with him, but a Dane Dunning, who's pretty boring. I put him on the list because he's already contributing to fantasy teams right now. And he will contribute next year. And he may never be an ACE. He may never even be like a two or three, probably not, but for like an SP four on your fantasy team, he's there now. And I would much rather gamble or gamble quote unquote on that than take a, 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 flyer with uh whose floor could completely bottom out yeah i I'm, I'm definitely with you there i feel like last year's version of that for me was was george kirby uh mm-hmm. and we'll we'll certainly get to talking about him because i'm curious as mm-hmm. your your thoughts i know you're a big seattle dude i often find and I, I think i've said this before on the pod but i often find that i chase the contact rates in hitters because if you can make contact my feeling is that the chances for you to develop power off, maybe not, you know, we're not talking huge power, but the chances for you to develop power off of an above average or an elite bat to ball hit tool are mm-hmm. better than a light tower power guy who struggles with making contact to really find the ability to reach that power. I don't even really know when I'm looking at grades, I have a hard time even knowing what to do with a raw power score. Like I almost right. don't care because 
what what I don't really care what you can do in batting practice. I care what you can do against right. a cur- I care what you can do against a curveball. I care what you can do, mm-hmm. you know, in a three two count. I care. So it's 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 tricky for me when evaluating that. Um, and it's similar with pitchers, right? A little bit. Obviously, everything's different. Every pitcher is very unique. Um, mm-hmm. Every swing is unique. All those things. But a pitcher who has elite command, elite pitchability, elite stuff, or has three or four pitches that are above average, you know, and we sort of saw that with Shane Beaver a little bit. If they can get into the professional world and add two ticks of development, or add, I'm sorry, add two ticks of velocity, all of a sudden they're very similar to what George Kirby may have done this uh, this last yep. season. You know, sort of sort of with that, uh, let's just dive right into the list here. If you want to, uh, if, you, if you want to take mm-hmm. some questions about some guys, I'm curious as to some thinking here. Sure. So the first one that stuck out to me, and it's the highest I've seen him ranked, I believe, I don't read every single list that comes out, but mm-hmm. uh, is Christian Robinson at number nine. And I'm curious about him. And I feel like, you know, we can talk about individual players. No one on this list is going to be bad or lack promise, right? So I'm right. curious. I hope, when not. I, I hope, yeah, I hope not. <laughs> so I'm curious when I'm looking at Christian Robinson at nine and the two people that stood out to me that are right below him are Andrew Vaughn and Alex Kirilov. And so I'm sort of curious to get your thoughts about what to do and what you're balancing there with regard to Christian Robinson has a very, very, very high ceiling, but there are some questions around the hit tool and there were some mixed reports, you know, about his ability to handle spin and and breaking pitches. And then you compare that to Andrew Vaughn and Alex Kirilov, who are pretty universally regarded as, incredible hitters and having mm-hmm. is you know even Vaughn I would say is 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 right to be ranked above Kirilov but I guess if you could just give me a little bit on that because it, it's hard for me to that's a difficult decision when you're judging the floors the ceilings and the potential of a K-Rob over Vaughn and Kirilov. Yeah this was a tough one for me what to do with Robinson you know it I, like I kind of said before we started recording, all of these players were tough to rank. Like there wasn't anybody that was a whole lot easier than others. Um, but for me with, with Vaughn and Kirloff, like Vaughn is a righty hitting first baseman, which they're just a little bit capped on, on their overall potential there. I think Vaughn's going to be extremely good. Uh, and I think he's going to be up very soon. He should make the major leagues in 2021 Kirloff might start the season in the major leagues. So I know that contradicts a little bit of like my MLB ready uh, rhetoric as like, those are the guys I value the most are guys who are like right on the cusp of being in the big leagues or have already been in the big leagues. And Robinson is a little bit farther away, but I just, I've, I've seen a lot of him uh, in videos and uh, I went out and saw him once in the minor leagues. And I just, the potential here is really, really high. I think there's looking at the list right now, like just from a pure potential perspective, maybe six, five or six guys that I think have distinctly more potential than him. Now the floor is lower, certainly lower than Vaughn and Kirloff. And again, this goes back to the, it depends what you need on your team or or your strategy. If you're uh, in a first year dynasty draft and you're trying to win now, and you have an option out of these three guys, K-Rob is probably last on your list. And I totally get that. That makes sense because he's much farther away. But from a, in my mind, at least from an upside perspective, I we're talking about it, dude, he's, his physique is incredible. He looks absolutely 
ridiculous just as an athlete. He's got power. He's got speed. That hit tool lacks. It's just like I said, we kind of let ourselves into this conversation mm-hmm. with what I was talking about before about kind of the preferences I have. I think it's important to note how young he was the last time he played. He did struggle a little bit. Uh, at high or at, at single A, excuse me, uh, but he was 19. <laughs> That's really, really young uh, for that level. And I think that, you know, when we see him again in the minor leagues, I don't think he's going to have any problem at that level. He'll probably be, he might already start out ahead of that level, to be honest. Um, so again, he's more of a high risk, high reward guy. And nine is a bit aggressive. It is definitely banking more on that uh, upside than maybe other places would, but uh, I think if you're if you're looking for an upside play uh, with one of your first prospect picks, then there's very few guys I'd rather have than him. Yeah, he certainly is someone who has a lot of. I mean, his his stock is still high. It hasn't taken some giant hit, and he to me seems like the kind of player that I do worry just a little bit more about. You know, he needs reps. He's the kind mm-hmm. of player that, he, in order to achieve a level of polish, he clearly has the raw tools getting him into games and against higher comp- higher level competition. And he got some of that at the alternate site, but it's not quite sure. the same. You know, that's, that's the kind of player that I worry about a little bit more when it comes to the lost season. I'm sure in the long run, he's going to be fine. And, and the Diamondbacks will give him every opportunity to, to reach his, his potential. And, and they've been pretty solid. Uh, you know, their, their development track record recently is, is pretty solid, I would say. So, you know, that's, that's just sort of something that I noticed with, uh, with K-Rob and sort of that type of player being a little bit, that's just someone that I would probably, like you said, it's aggressive to put him in nine. I, I, I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. put him that high, but, you know, he'd most likely be in my top 20. Uh, I'd, have a, right. I'd, have a, I'd have a hard time pushing him down any further than that, even if I was really going for it um, for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So switching gears a little bit, I just want to, uh, as, a, as a Pacific Northwest man, <laughs> How tempted were you to raise up one of your darlings? And you know who I'm talking about. How tempted were you to raise someone up above Wander Franco this year? Yeah, uh, it, it was tempting, uh, especially, you know, you kind of see some other other sites started to do it and it became much more of a conversation of like Franco or Kellenic. And some people even really wanted to put Julio Rodriguez into that conversation. Um, and I, I think it's like, it's really close. Like for me, it's 1A and 1B. Uh, with Julio right below them just because he's a little bit younger and there's a little bit more, you know, just time between now and when he makes the major leagues, which is when there's more or less a tiebreaker. That's kind of how I how I make that determination. But uh, Franco, the hit tool is just so absolutely ridiculous and such a safe bet for him to be like a quality a fantasy asset just because you know that he's going to hit uh, Kellenic, I, I mean, it's not that I feel like he's not going to hit. I, he has not done anything to indicate that he won't, but there's a little bit more swing and miss to his game. He doesn't have an 80 hit tool, which again is not a knock on him, just more of a testament to how great Franco's bat is uh, Franco's bat. But yeah, I, I, I was tempted. I thought about it. Uh, I, I would not really be all that surprised if Kellenic ends up being the best prospect uh, out of the group right now. Uh, just from an, especially from just an overall baseball perspective, I think he's going to be like a true five tool all-star caliber or just multiple time all-star outfielder. Like there's no real indication that he's not going to reach that level. Uh, and I think he's going to be in the major leagues this year. Um, almost certainly uh, maybe a September call up, maybe sooner kind of depending on how the Mariners season goes, you know, they, they don't have a lot of 
quality caliber outfielders blocking Kellenic right now. So there's not really a compelling reason to keep him down for too long unless he struggles in the minor leagues, which has yet to happen. So it seems unlikely that it will. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's wrong to put Kellenic number one. Uh, I've seen that again a handful of other times, uh, and I think that it's almost kind of a dealer's choice at this point. Obviously, there's some positional flexibility there too, but on my overall dynasty rankings, uh, I think I had Franco in the late 20s, I think, and I had Kellenic like 34, 35. So they're basically, in my mind, like pretty equal, very similar. I, I would, you know, if I was ranking, you know, the top five, I would... I would, I would agree with you on the top four of Franco, Kellenic, you know, Julio Rodriguez and Luciano. There's a couple of guys at the Luciano level, just because their proximity that maybe I could sneak in there for me, maybe it would come down also with the Kellenic versus Franco situation. You know, Franco plays in the dirt. He's going to stick there in some capacity. So it's a, mm-hmm. you know, and again, you know, if your league plays with five outfielders, maybe you need, sure, maybe you need that. But, you know, I, I tend to play in three outfielder leagues and, it's a little bit harder to find infielders uh, of that caliber or, you know, you have less spots to play them at the very least. So, well, and then the, another one that stuck out to me in sort of the opposite in terms of uh, high and low is Mackenzie Gore all the way down to 20. I guess I would love to hear your thoughts on Mackenzie Gore being uh, 20 is not low. You don't want to sit here and be like, Oh my goodness, it's so low. He's at 20. How dare you? Uh, That's not my intent, but you know, I, he is certainly regarded as one of the better pitching prospects in baseball. Yeah. Is there anything that made you want to push him down there other than just being a pitcher or what are your thoughts? Yeah. I, it was a bit of an intentional choice to have him lower. Like I, I believe it. It wasn't just for shock and awe necessarily, but uh, I, I did know that this would cause some attention. I think uh, it's also worth pointing out. Like you said, he's one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Yeah. I have him third. Among pitching prospects, I just only have three pitchers in the top 20. The only two who I have above him are Sixto Sanchez and Ian Anderson at 15 and 17. And obviously that kind of goes with my philosophy, uh, particularly of pitchers of like, if I'm going to take a pitching prospect, I want a dude who's had success in the major leagues. And those two guys have done that. Uh, I don't know that they're necessarily going to automatically replicate the success that they had in the big leagues last year, but I would much rather gamble on that than people who have yet to make it to that level. And with Gore, I think and I know a lot of people really don't want to put any stock into the fact that he did not make his major league debut last year, but I have a really hard time not like acknowledging that. Like I, I, it could be for a variety of reasons uh, and it, it may not be any reason involving his skill or his future, you know, his potential future skill set as a major league pitcher, but feels somewhat notable. They could have given him opportunities and they didn't. Uh, they called up Luis Patino ahead of him. They gave Adrian Morahone opportunities ahead of him. Uh, and then in the offseason, they went out and got a ton of pitching. And this is primarily to compete with the Dodgers. Uh, and because they could, because they, they're just, they had enough of a farm system and a 40 man roster crunch that they could trade talented players or talented prospects to get back high quality big league pitchers. And when you can get Blake Snell and you Darvish and Mike Clevenger at the trade deadline, you, you do it. And I, so I don't think it's a bad thing, but it makes Gore's path to a big league rotation spot in 2021, a lot murkier. Uh, and he's still very young and that's why he's still number 20. I'm not overly concerned. I don't see a diminished skill set or anything like that. Uh, but we didn't see much of him at all at the alternate site. Uh, San Diego is one of the teams that didn't release 
video of the alternate trading training site. So we just don't really know. Uh, there's rumblings that there was some velocity dips. I don't know how valid those are uh, or if they're, again, maybe they were there, but maybe it's because he was taking it easy. He was dealing with his minor injury. Who knows? So I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm super worried about McKenzie Gore. I just tend to downgrade pitching prospects a little bit. And I think that the hitters that I have above him, I mean, the names right right in that range are Austin Martin, Tristan Cassis, uh, Royce Lewis are guys that I just have more confidence in their ability to be like elite or very, very good fantasy assets. Gore's a guy who, yes, he has ace potential. And if he reaches that ace potential, he probably would have merited a higher spot on this list, but there's also a real chance that he develops into like a really good number two or number three pitcher, which still has a lot of value, but I'd rather gamble on the position players that I think could realistically return like top 100 overall value or even top 50 value. I, uh, I would, I would, I would tend to agree. I mean, I think out of a hard time pushing Gore up super high into the top 10, you know, mm-hmm. I did, a, I actually did a lot of, uh, I've watched, I don't know, five or six McKenzie Gore starts in the last couple of days just mm-hmm. to try to get a little bit more info. And yeah, he does. He's not a power pitcher in a lot of ways. You know, he's right. not, he's not coming at you with an incredible level of heat. Uh, it's a lot more finesse uh, and mm-hmm. his, his secondary offerings are great. He commands the zone really well. He pumps strikes in there. He's got deception in this delivery you know, but he's, he's definitely tossing 89, 90, 91, 92 stuff up there very consistently. And mm-hmm. it might, it might play up a little bit more in terms of perceived, perceived velocity, but I don't think it's crazy to think of Gore. Like you said, he's got ace potential and you can't say that about too many pitching prospects in baseball, but if he ends up a three, if he ends up mm-hmm. as a better version of Dane Dunning, when it's all right. said and done, I'm not going to be shocked. You know, I've seen, I've seen, countless pitching prospects that have that ceiling turn into good pitchers, but not pitchers that are pitchers taken in the first round of drafts, not Jacob deGroms. Uh, and I've seen plenty right. of Jacob, Jacob deGroms where he came out, they, you know, they came out of nowhere. They never had that. And they just put it all together after the fact and on a weird timeline. And they were, ne- they were never a part of a list like this. And in terms of that, right. uh, that stock and yeah, you know, Anderson and Sixto showed adverse major league pitching. It's pretty cut and dry in a lot of ways when it comes to that. They really showed it against major league pitching. Anderson showed it against major league pitching in the, uh, in the playoffs. Uh, so, yep. you know, when you, when you take all of that into consideration, I don't, I don't think it's too crazy though. I, I will think some people will, uh, some people will certainly be atting you on the Twitter about Mackenzie Gore at 20. So that should be a, that should be a fun conversation for you to have. Well, the first person who did it was one of my really good friends who lives in San Diego. So we'll see if there's more hatred that comes my way. But so far, I've been able to handle the one that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and it's 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 interesting. We, we're dealing with more, more than ever before in the prospect world. We are dealing with the, how shall you say, implications of non-events. So Mackenzie mm-hmm. Gore not being brought up last year. Uh, the alternate site not having the data available. Uh, the fact that other prospects made the made made the team before he did. The fact that they went out and have acquired more pitching and more players that are valuable than, I mean, I can't even remember a team that's had the kind of offseason like they've had this year, and they just kept right. it off tonight with that Tatis extension. So, you know, and I honestly, I don't see that as a knock against Gore like some people do. I just see that as the Padres recognizing that they are going up against 
maybe the best team that we've ever seen play baseball mm-hmm. uh, at once. And you really just got to, if you're going to push all your chips in, go get more chips and push those chips. in. Uh, so that's, 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 yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what San Diego does. I, I think we could see, we, we could see Gore this year with the way pitching is going with injuries, with innings. I, I'd be surprised if we didn't, uh, unless there is something that we don't know. And we will yet to find out in the, when, you know, when, when people start really pitching on television. So another thing I sort of wanted to talk to you about, and we can handle, I think we can handle three players at once. And it's more of a, it's more of a, again, with the non-events, you know? So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of three players. I'm thinking of Jason Dominguez, who you have at 24. I'm thinking of Robert Poisson, who you have at 91. And then I am thinking of Eric Pena, who I believe you have at 61. And those are all players that were signed for a whole bunch of dollar bills from, <laughs> from the international market. And we have not seen anything from them, but for the stray Twitter clip. And so I guess the question is, when you're looking at players like that, and we have reports to go on, some nice clips of some exit velo, some nice swing stuff, little alternate site clip here and there. How do you really parse out, you know, the value of, of Jason Dominguez at 24 and then Poisson all the way down to 91? You know, that's, that's a big variance in terms of numbers for guys who I sort of see, I don't want to say they're equal, but I guess it really comes down to, I don't know. All I have is, is sort of pedigree and reports. So what, what sort of you're thinking, especially when you're thinking about players like that, where not only you mentioned in the beginning, they haven't come stateside. We haven't seen anything from these guys. Um, so, you know, what's, how do you, how do you figure that situation out for the, for a list like this? Uh, helium is a, is a big part of it. Uh, you know, you said, well, I, I don't really know anything on these guys. I don't either. Like, uh, you know, anybody who, who says that they do is either, uh, there, you know, for whatever reason, or is lying because we all have access to the videos that have been posted on, on the internet. And we really just don't have a lot else. Uh, but for me, I think that there is some value, um, in, and I, I try to draft from a dynasty perspective, very strategically. And again, I, you know, I don't need to keep, you know, reiterating the same point, but it, it varies league to league. I'm in a league, an ale only league that has very, very shallow minor league slots, uh, and Dominguez wasn't owned for a long time, even though he's considered like, a, a, especially in an AL only league, a very, very high ranking prospect. But because we have such shallow minor league slots and we're all trying to win now and he was 17 last year, like he, he wasn't owned. And I thought that that made sense. But in deeper dynasty leagues, like he's going to be a really hot commodity. And so it kind of depends on your format. But for me, like I'm willing to. I probably won't draft Dominguez at his slot very often, but I'm willing to take chances on guys who have this amount of helium on them. A, because there's a very, very real chance that Jason Dominguez is extraordinarily good. And then he comes overseas or he comes over to the, to the States and just mashes in the minor leagues. We see these 112, 115 mile an hour exit velocities. He looks Herculean and, you know, blasts through the minor leagues and becomes the top prospect in baseball like that. That, there is a non-zero chance that that happens uh, from what we have seen. It's really hard to, to believe that concretely, like, you know, we don't know, but he looks really, really good. Uh, and, and so for me, I think like you're, you're acquiring an asset in a way, like if, if you're 
not sure what direction your team is going in. For example, if it's a first year dynasty draft and you just haven't, you know, you've made a few picks, you have some younger guys, you could go for a rebuilding team. You could go for a win now style team. And you see a Dominguez, uh, like in a deeper league, I'm willing to take a shot on him pretty early just because if you, if he does hit well, you can trade him. You can get a ton of value back because that helium is going to continue to climb. He's on the Yankees. Uh, he's getting a lot of press. He's been compared physically to Aaron Donald, which is hilarious. I saw something that said he's like more advanced than Mike Trout, which is just a ludicrous thing to say about a teenager um, and really unfair because Mike Trout's development is, was, different and anyway it doesn't matter uh, it's a very unique thing to try to make a comparison on but yeah. i do believe in in these kind of high helium guys being a valuable dynasty asset uh, you don't want to be left holding the bag so if you you know there's a lot of people who are out there listening who probably you know spent a lot of draft capital on 16 year old kevin Maiton and held on to him and then we're just left with nothing. <laughs> and so I know that that is a risk here, but if you can pick up a Dominguez uh, and he looks good and then you decide, Hey, I do want to win now. And you can flip him for multiple high quality major leaguers. Great. If you decide you want to blow it up, you can hold on to him and hope that he develops into the guy that he is. Um, 24 is a tad aggressive, probably, especially for a guy who has described myself as valuing guys who are closer to the big leagues and then picking a prospect who is very clearly not uh, big league ready. I think the next person on my list uh, was Noelvi Marte, who we didn't quite include in this conversation, but fits as well. He, you know, he, he dominated the DSL. He's a teenager. Uh, Puosin, Puosin, uh, you know, I, I have him lower because I don't think the helium is quite as uh, prevalent around him, uh, but he's, you know, physically very mature. Uh, looks the part of a future big league infielder with a lot of thump in his bat. Like I've liked the stuff that I've seen from him too. I just don't think that he carries the kind of weight where I would want to invest heavily in him as an asset on a dynasty league, just to kind of hold on to him and see if I can flip him or see if he really develops. Like I still think he's a top 100 guy. And I think there are people out there who are going to pay a lot more than, than I am as you know, where I have him ranked. And that's totally fine. I think, you know, there's a, there's an argument to rank him much higher because of that upside, but I just I could see the bottom falling out a little bit sooner on him. Like if Dominguez comes over and has a bad first year, the helium's going to fall, but it's still going to be kind of high. With whereas with some of those other guys, including Pena, it may not last as long, and you may be left holding the bag a little bit quicker than you wanted to. Uh, I didn't talk much on Pena, but a lot of the same stuff applies with him and uh, Pawson and even Marte of like. We just don't know. We just haven't quite seen it yet. Uh, I think Payne is going to be good too from what we've seen, um, but I'm really excited to get a look at all of those guys uh, once they come over stateside, uh, hopefully in a few months. I think uh, that's it's not a crazy way to think about it when you're talking about assets. It, it reminds me of what I talked about on the last episode in terms of Wanda Franco's prospects mm-hmm. stock. If Jason Dominguez, actually there's really no if, I, I have a pretty strong hunch that Whatever low level he starts at, he will mm-hmm. destroy. It Probably. will be, yeah. it'll be child's play. And so that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing like he already has the helium, as you mentioned. So, as an asset that you can use in multiple ways in a dynasty league, if he comes out and just hits 350 with like a 700 slugging percentage in some A level ball in his first year, 
this is just going to get out of control, right? Like yeah. the, the helium will just become nonsensical and you'll be able to flip him for frankly, probably more than he's worth, even if he maxes out as a single player. That to me is always something I want to, I want to think about with when it comes to those guys. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, Poisson, you're going to mm-hmm. be able to get him for a discount. And, and maybe he's the guy you hold on to because he turns into a great major leaguer and the guy that you right. grab and flip is Jason because, you know, you almost can't turn it down at a certain point, you know, you're offered enough value in the present to justify trading almost any prospect. There's going to be someone in your league who's willing to pay the price. That's, that's certainly something that I have, uh, I have found anyway. So a couple other guys that I wanted to, uh, wanted to touch on, and these are two guys that I'll just say right off the bat, I am lower on, I think than most. And that is Drew Waters and Ryan Mountcastle. I'm lower on Mountcastle because I have a bias against guys who don't walk. And <laughs> I, I struggle with thinking about what that's going to be like in terms of owning them and when things are not working, whether it's swing wise or simply BABIP and they're just, they're, they're not getting the lucky bounces for 10, 15 games in a row. And then I look at Waters and he highlights another thing that I tend to stay away from, which is very aggressive approaches with swing and miss concerns. You know, I watched uh, actually a lot of the Mackenzie Gore that I watched was against Drew Waters. And uh, actually, that's not true. Uh, it was all it was all Norfolk Tides today. But um, <laughs> but, but watching Waters, I mean, he's the kind of guy that he has a hard time waiting for the pitch that he can actually do damage on with the swing that he has. And so that worries me in terms of him finding a max out potential for, for his ceiling. And then again, Mountcastle is a good hitter, lacks a position. I don't really care too much about that, but he, if he has a year where he hits 250 or the luck doesn't turn out and he hits 240, well, then all of a sudden you're looking at a, a you know, a on base percentage under 300. So give me a little bit on those two guys. You have waters at 31 and Mountcastle at 34. Yeah. I think, uh, starting with waters, uh, I, I can understand the the free swinging kind of concern about him. And a lot of his numbers have been inflated by ridiculously high BABIPs that he's posted throughout the minor leagues. Uh, hard to know how much of that is truly just luck or speed or not as good defense in lower levels of the minor leagues. There's kind of probably some combination of all of those things. Um, but I like that he's got the, again, the power and the speed. Uh, he's a smart base runner. He seems to be the kind of guy who will nab you. Uh, a few stolen bases every single year, maybe a little bit more than that, which in the in the current landscape of uh, fantasy baseball, uh, guys who are going to nab you close to 10 stolen bases do carry a lot more value just because they're those have become much more difficult to come by. I do think Waters is a guy who <laughs> I don't think he's going to do this, but I almost wish he would just, uh, just hit left-handed because he's a switch hitter that does not hit very well from the right side. Uh, and I think that that does hurt uh, some of his, I mean, it doesn't hurt his value necessarily. I don't know that he would be better facing left-handed pitching as a left-handed hitter, but uh, he doesn't hit well from the right side. Um, but from the left side, he's got some pull side pop. Uh, he makes better contact from that side of the plate. Um, I do worry about the lack of walks, obviously. You know, I, I kind of talked at the onset about trying to value guys more in OBP leagues. These are two counterexamples of that, of guys who are more valuable in batting average leagues, uh, specifically Mount Castle, who has continued to to hit for high batting averages with virtually no walks. Uh, it's something he's done for a really long time. Uh, and last year he came up, he made his major league debut. He hit extremely well. 
And he drew a lot of walks. And I wrote an article for Pitcher List about this called Will Ryan Mountcastle Ever Stop Hitting? Uh, and one of the conclusions that I came to was his walk rate is kind of an aberration. And I think that that is runs counter to me having him about 40 spots higher than a lot of other places. But I do think that the walk, walk rate that we saw from him, if you look at his O swing rates, his chase rates, all that stuff, they were pretty uh, below the league average. So I think that there is probably some risk there of if he goes through a prolonged month where he hits 220, uh, your OBP is going to be like 240 because he's just not great at drawing walks. He worked on it a ton. There was articles in the Baltimore newspapers like every week about what Ryan Mountcastle is doing at the alternate site to work on his uh, his eye, which was partly because the Orioles were keeping him down for service time reasons. So they were just like trying to manipulate the news to make it sound like they, were, they had something to work on for Mountcastle um, because, you know, there was no reason that he wasn't in the big leagues earlier uh, or even the year before when he hit like 30 home runs in AAA. But regardless, uh, Mountcastle is a guy who he's got 25 home run pop. Uh, he's got the potential to hit 265, 270, maybe even 280 over a full season. And for me, a guy who's in the big leagues, who is going to hit 25 home runs most likely, is probably at worst going to hit 255. Uh, like, it's it's really hard for me to not find a spot for that guy in the top 40 because, like, that's production that is, like, happening <laughs> right now. Like, he, he is going to do that very likely. Uh, in OBP leagues, he is worse. Uh, and I think that the upside is fairly low. Like, I think that, you know, the the floor for me is like maybe 240, 245 and 20-ish home runs. And the ceiling is only slightly better than that. But in deeper dynasty leagues in particular, like if you're second or third, probably your third or fourth outfielder is hitting 265 with 30 home runs or 25 home runs, you know, hell yeah, you're going to take that. Like, that's pretty fantastic value. Uh, and so... He's more of a, he's definitely more of a floor play than an upside play. Uh, I don't magically believe the walk rate is going to improve as much as the Baltimore papers want to tell you that it will. Um, but, you know, maybe I, it's not crazy that it could happen, but even if it doesn't, I think the floor is good enough here that I'm, I'm happy to, to have him as a top 35 dynasty asset waters a bit riskier, uh, not a bit, quite a bit riskier, uh, but I think the upside is a little bit higher there. Uh, and the fact that he's going to add some stolen bases helps too. Yep. No, I think you make, you make some good points there uh, about just sort of trying to plan for the future and what Mountcastle does bring. He's just not my, you know, when I'm looking at all the gelato flavors of prospects, it's just not <laughs> the one I pick. He's just yep. not the one I pick, but I get why people are, are excited about him and Hey, they did keep him down longer than they probably should, whatever that means in the current climate mm -hmm. of baseball, but he is not going to lack for opportunity. Yeah. That's something with, with Baltimore that you, if, if, they, if he's up and playing, you're going to know what you have. Mm -hmm. And there's not going to be anyone that, that comes for his job because he struggles for 10, 15 games. So he'll get the leash to figure it out, which, you know, is good now and will pay dividends in the future. Hopefully. I would want to point out really quick on Mount Castle too. Uh, his his positional eligibility impacts his value as well. Uh, in my league last year, he was shortstop eligible. That will go away. Uh, it was kind of astonishing that it was still there. Um, but he's still third 
in some leagues, I think he's third and or first base eligible. Um, and I don't think he's going to, this is probably the last year that he's going to be third base eligible. I think he's going to be a left fielder slash DH, maybe a first baseman, depending on what the Orioles figure out to do with Chris Davis. But uh, if he still has third base eligibility or miraculously shortstop eligibility, that changes his value quite a bit. Um, so it does depend on that format. Uh, that was one of the reasons that I targeted him in one of my dynasty leagues was because he had that eligibility. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on for those of you in startup leagues. Um, if you get him and you can plug him into a, a middle infield spot, that's fantastic, but it's, it's not going to last. Yeah. Get, get it while the getting is good. If that's the case, mm-hmm. I can still, I can still remember, I think it was a couple of years ago, although time is weird at this current moment in my life. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago that the Cubs shifted so much that uh, Anthony Rizzo actually gained second base eligibility in yep. Yahoo. The the pile of broken furniture I have to my left, which you can't see, is really all because of that <laughs> and allowing one of my league mates to, I mean, he didn't have a second baseman of value before that. And then all of a sudden he's slotting in Anthony Rizzo who's peaking. <laughs> we won't go down there because obviously it is a festering wound in my mind. Uh, so I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about some of your Mariners because mm-hmm. I'll be honest and I'm going to say it on this pod for everyone to hear. I think if there was one pitching prospect in baseball that I would want on a dynasty team or a major league team over Anyone else, if you know, if you're like, hey, you can only take one pitcher of all the pitchers in baseball right now, who is it going to be? For me, it's George Kirby. I fall in love with, with command and the fact that he's added velocity or potentially added velocity. We'll have to see all those caveats. But to me, George Kirby is exactly what I am looking for. So sort of curious, you have, you know, you have the three, the three saviors of seattle uh coming uh (laughs) coming up here you got logan gilbert who you have at 37 and then you have emerson hancock at 49 and then kirby is all the way down at 62 so i i guess just give me a little bit since you know you are a seattle guy trying to trying to suss out the differences and where to place those three players yeah shout out to the uh, another podcast on the pitcher list podcast network the never sunny in seattle podcast that i co-host with mikey ahedo i just shamelessly going to plug that right here since you kept mentioning that i'm a seattle guy i am i'm from seattle i encourage you all to listen to that podcast it's less fantasy focused but more just about the mariners so if you're a fan and you're excited that we're starting to talk about george kirby head over to that podcast we talk about george kirby a crap load over there um anyway yeah so i i took my notes expecting that you were going to talk to me as if george kirby was too high uh, and so, uh, cause I, I've seen him mostly in like the eighties and nineties on a lot of other lists, but, uh, I appreciate that your respect for Kirby is higher than that. Um, cause I thought 62 was a pretty generous ranking. Uh, although it is not the first time I've seen people prefer him over the other two. Uh, and I, I do get that. I think the Mariners, what we've seen from them with their pitching prospects is, uh, they get guys who have, you know, the big bodied guys with command of multiple pitches, that seems to be their MO. Uh, when you look at these three guys, they all kind of fit that bill a little bit. Uh, and then they, they get them and they add velocity. 
This is what they've been so good at. They call it gas camp over here in Seattle. Uh, and everybody, every pitching prospect that they get seemingly seems to add this velocity. I know you had a great conversation with Trevor Huth about Juan Ten, who's a similar position of a guy who wasn't that well built. He was kind of spindly, but he added some muscle. And then all of a sudden he's up in the high 90s. Uh, and a guy who I reasonably think could be a top 100 prospect uh, within a year or so, because I think his stuff is off the charts phenomenal. I wasn't quite ready to put him there yet, but he's going to be very good. Um, But this is just what the Mariners have been able to do. And Kirby was a guy who, you know, he came from a small school. Uh, He dominated, but it it was hard to know exactly how uh, justifiable that was. He was a late first round pick by Seattle, uh, basically didn't walk anybody in college and then didn't walk anybody in the minor leagues uh, at all uh, and was throwing like early 90s ish uh, with good with incredible command and uh, multiple pitches and then all of a sudden you see these like videos of him on instagram looking like absolutely ridiculously in shape like it was staggering how physically his body changed over a year being with the mariners Uh, and then you get reports of him throwing 98 99 hitting 100 things that he was not doing now again you kind of alluded to it we need to see him do that in games and that's kind of the only reason (laughs) that I have him a little bit lower. Um, and again, that, you know, I can hear people making the argument of like, well, you haven't seen Emerson Hancock in games and that is very true, but Hancock's collegiate uh, opponents were better than anybody that George Kirby faced in college. Uh, and so we saw what he was able to do against them. I think he's a tiny bit more polished Hancock uh, in just in terms of his secondaries. And I think that we haven't quite seen what gas camp is going to do to Emerson Hancock either. So I think that if he starts getting a tick up in velocity and is able to go deeper into games, which is some, one of the things the Mariners development system has really helped these guys with, uh, then I think Hancock could be his ceiling could also be super sky high. So Kirby, we've seen the benefits. Gilbert is already kind of a year into the benefits that we've seen of this kind of gas camp thing that the Mariners do. Uh, I have Gilbert the highest because I think he's closest to the major leagues, uh, which is like I've said a handful of times, something I really value with pitching prospects in particular. Uh, I think there's a non-zero chance that Kirby's the best out of the three. Uh, so it's, you know, the difference between 37 and 62 on this list is pretty minimal, to be honest. Uh, there's a big run of, of major league pitchers in between the two of them, like Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal and Tristan McKenzie uh, and some other floor guy or some other higher floor guys like DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez. So there's a fair amount of pitching in between, but I don't in my head, at least I don't view the difference between Kirby and, and Gilbert or Hancock really as, as that different. I just lean with the guys who are, I think a little bit closer to the big leagues. And even though Hancock has yet to play in the minors, I think he's probably a little bit closer, although I think him and Kirby could probably debut around the same time. Yeah. I'm curious to see what, what happens this year when we, when we start getting games again, because I, I do think Kirby, I do think Kirby is the kind of pitcher who could, the timeline could be accelerated very quickly. Yes, definitely. Uh, with, with sort of the polish. So that's, I mean, yeah, again, we got to get into games. We got to see, you know, how quickly things coalesce, start coalescing in Seattle. It could, it could be very quick. So, and you know, that's, that's very, very fun things in the future for, for you Mariners fans. I must say as a Pirates fan, I like where our farm's at, but it's <laughs> not quite as close what you guys have going on up there so that is going to be gotta stay patient oh yeah well that's something i have a lot of as a pirates fan (laughs) and yeah certainly helped me with with my with my young child because it's i can wait for the pirates forever so 
anything that happens there is fun. <laughs> you know, we can take it off player specific stuff for a moment because I want to round this thing out. But two two questions I wanted to ask. I'll start with the first one. Who is most likely on this list to prove you wrong? And you can define that any way you want. You can define that a guy who is 90 whatever and is could potentially end up in a you know absolutely incredible perennial all-star you could you could go someone who you've ranked in the top 10 that's just going to bomb out you could go you know any any which however you define that i'm curious who on this list is most likely to prove you wrong who what what ranking are you worried about the most yeah i'll i'll give you two um one in each kind of direction uh because that's more fun so we'll do it that way uh, the first one, I have. there's two pitchers that I think could prove me wrong, but I have too low. Uh, and that would be uh, Forrest Whitley, who I have at number 80, and Brendan McKay, who I have at number 93. And I, I think the reasoning for those guys being low is fairly obvious. Uh, with Whitley, we've had injury issues. We've had performance kind of dips, ebbs and flows. We've had potential, uh, I don't want to say off the field issues because that sounds too dramatic, but maybe attitude concerns from him. Uh, his stuff is absolutely electric, electric, electric. Like you talk about arms on this list that have ace potential. There are a lot of arms. I would reckon probably eight or so arms that I have ahead of Forrest Whitley, who I don't think have ace potential, whereas Whitley probably does. But I just think that the the odds of him actually reaching that potential seem really low. And we've seen a ton of pitching prospects who go from being like, top 25 overall prospects, they dip a little bit, they dip a little bit, and then they kind of just disappear. Either they don't make the major leagues or they kind of, they reemerge as relievers. Uh, and I could, there's a, I could see a real, a reality where Whitley ends up as like a really dominant reliever. Like just if, if his body doesn't hold up, he can't continue to, to throw strikes deep into games. Uh, he keeps running into injury issues. Like I could see that being a reality. But I could also see a reality where the, he gets a fire lit under him and he comes out this year and he absolutely shoves and he makes the Astros rotation because they don't have a ton of depth there. And he develops into maybe not a frontline guy, but like a, a solid number two, number three. And he makes me look real silly for moving him down here. Uh, McKay, more or less same stuff there. He's like an inning away from not being a prospect anymore. So I almost just didn't include him at all, but injuries have been such a huge part of his story. Uh, I think that trying to do the two-way thing may have messed with his development a little bit. Uh, I still think there's potential for him to be very solid though. And again, he could come out next year, earn a spot in the rotation if he's healthy uh, and, and make me look silly for having him barely in the top 100. But uh, I, in good conscience, I just, I don't think that I'll be drafting these guys where most people value them just because I'm, I'm too risk averse to want to take that on. And then we'll go with a, a hitter and B somebody that I kind of feel the opposite about. Uh, and that's Cabrian Hayes, who I have at number 22. Uh, it could either be Hayes or Arazarena, who I have 21. Uh, I'll focus on Hayes because this is a fairly aggressive ranking for a guy who hit really, really well in the major leagues last year, but doesn't have a massive track record of being like a, a top tier hitting performance. He was kind of more, viewed more as a glove first prospect, like potential gold glover at third base. Uh, I know you're a Pirates guy, so you probably don't want to hear me tell you that maybe Cabrian Hayes won't be very good. Uh, I still think he's going to be good. Obviously, I have him up here. But if his bat returns to normalcy and he looks more like a, a league average hitting third baseman, then maybe it'll look silly to have him above you know, Dominguez and Marte and Nate Pearson and Trevor Larnack and everybody else that I put him ahead of. I'm pretty excited about Hayes, regardless of his mm -hmm. fantasy, 
his fantasy prowess, if you will. You know, he's going to be the kind of, we haven't had a guy like that uh, in the infield for a while, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, with the pirates and I'm, I'm excited to see the defense. I think he's, he's arguably already one of the top, you know, defenders in the majors, just with what he does on that skill level. And, that's going to keep that's going to keep him in the lineup. I think he's going to be sort of like you said earlier, he's going to be a player that is going to nab you a few of those steals and his yep. his his floor is pretty solid because he commands his own well. He doesn't swing and miss much. He walks enough. <laughs> and we'll see what happens with the power. And he may end up being more of a just a mistake hitter in the sense of, you know, <laughs> where the where the home run power comes from. The home runs he hit last year uh, that I have watched many many times. Uh, we're, we're, we're generally not thrown by incredible pitchers, uh, or, and we're generally not hit off of incredible pitches. So it's a small sample size. I'm trying to temper my expectations. If he gives me 280 with a one season at peak, and then maybe sort of gets back into the very standard, all right, I'm going to hit 275 and above on base percentage will be mm-hmm. solid. Defense will be elite 15 home runs, 10 steals until I lose my wheels. I'll take that. Uh, I'll, I'll absolutely take that. And I think that just sort of gets back to your floor versus ceiling conversation when it comes to, to ranking him. And yeah, I mean, and if Shelly was here, she'd tell you to put him higher. So. <laughs> yeah. I think like 270 with 15 home runs seems pretty realistic. That's just probably 22 might be a little high for that. Um, but again, the floor is, is the, is the, the reason that he's where he is right now. He's already in the big leagues. He's likely going to produce fantasy value. It may not be super high fantasy value. Uh, and the, you know, the ceiling may not be like, you know, top three or five even round pick, but the floor is high enough that I think he justifies that spot. And then the other question I wanted to ask you is who just missed making this list? Give me a few names that were just close to creeping on, but at the 11th hour, you just, you, you put them on the chopping block. Yeah, there's quite a few uh, that that were really close to making the list. Uh, I think some of the most notable ones, uh, Austin Wells got replaced at the last minute by Luis Campisano, who for some reason I forgot. I don't know how he, uh, I just was like, oh, shoot, I need to add him. Uh, so that's who got bumped. Though technically, I guess that makes Wells 101 uh, since he was the last person to get cut from the list. Uh, a few other ones, Josiah Gray for the Dodgers. Uh, a guy that a lot of lists have really high and I can kind of understand Dodgeritis is a thing. I don't know when he's going to get his chance. Uh, his stuff is good, but he doesn't strike me as like a, a dynamic fantasy asset necessarily. Davey Garcia, I'm worried about his size uh, and think that there's a non-zero chance he ends up in the bullpen. Um, Bryce Terang is one of my favorite prospects uh, for the Brewers. Uh, better real life prospect than he is a fantasy prospect. So he doesn't make the list. Uh, ditto for Bryson Scott of the Phillies. Uh, he's got some, or Terang's got more speed, which gives him a bit of a bump. Um, and they both have solid hit tools, but I'm just, there's not enough power there to really project. Uh, and then the last two shirt and apostle for the Texas Rangers and Taylor Trammell from the Mariners uh, apostle tons and tons of raw power uh, strikeout stuff is pretty concerning though. And then Trammell, I'm just, I'm not quite there with him yet. Uh, I think there's a a decent chance he turns into a really, really quality uh, major league outfielder, like a a low end starting left fielder, which could return some fantasy value. Uh, But I'm, 
I think that the floor is pretty low and I'm not sure the ceiling is as high as it used to be. So they're all kind of right on the outside. Um, Ethan Hankins is another one that I really, really like Ethan Hankins a lot pitcher for the Cleveland baseball team. Uh, so all those guys were, were on the list. Didn't quite sneak onto it, but, uh, in the 110 range. Before we get to playing a round of prospect survivor, because I don't want to take all, right. all of the, uh, I don't want to take all of the magic out of the list. You got to go and read it. You got to go and get <laughs> at Andy on Twitter and tell him why he is wrong and maybe <laughs> tell him do. why he is right. But you know, I think you'll get a lot more, uh, a lot more activity if you just tell him how dare you yep. put this guy there. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I just wanted to give you an opportunity. I've asked you about guys that I sort of agreed with, disagreed with, what have you. Uh, is there anyone you mm-hmm. wanted to highlight on this list before we uh, take it to prospect survivor? Uh, yeah, you you really, you know, you sent me the names you were thinking about, and they were a lot of the names that I really wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, Mount Castle and George Kirby were definitely high on my list of guys. Uh, but I do want to highlight uh, Jackson Rutledge, who I have at number 99. Um, I want to highlight him because he's probably my my biggest prospect crush this year. Um, I wrote up the Nationals farm system, and because the Nationals farm system is so very sad, uh, I had little little to get excited about, and Jackson Rutledge was one of those things. Um, my bold prediction article at Pitcher List last year, I predicted that Jackson Rutledge would throw meaningful innings in the major leagues, and that did not happen because he is 21, but there were rumblings towards the end of the year that the Nationals were going to give him a call-up, which would have been cool. Uh, the Nationals were well out of it, so I don't know that I would have gotten the quote-unquote meaningful innings from Jackson Rutledge. But we're talking about a dude who's, you know, he's 6'8", he throws 99, uh, he's got good stuff. Uh, obviously, there's some concern about, like, whether that will hold up over a full, you know, a full season, uh, you know, but we haven't seen a lot of issues from him yet. Uh, and his, again, his stuff is really solid. And I just think that this is a guy that isn't getting a ton of attention, but that I think could develop into, I don't know that he's got ace potential, but I think he's got, like, really quality two or three starting pitcher stuff. And he's got enough strikeout potential that I think he gets a slight bump in fantasy because of that. Uh, And then another guy that I kind of wanted to highlight real quickly um, was Bobby Dahlbeck, who I have 83rd. Um, I almost moved him up quite a bit when I did my dynasty rankings. I realized that where I was ranking him in dynasty was a lot higher than where I was ranking him on this list. Um, and again, it goes back to like young guys who are already in the big leagues. Uh, Dahlbeck's going to strike out a crap load and there's some serious risk here. There's some high risk, high reward uh, more than most other prospects. But in a, in a landscape where every player is basically hitting a lot of home runs and striking out a lot, like I'm okay taking a chance on the guy who does both of those things way more than anybody else, because it's just kind of, you know, you, you kind of just accept that you're, you know, if you build a team, a whole huge team full of Nick Madrigals and Bryce Terangs and guys like that, you're, you're not going to win. You need guys who are going to hit a whole bunch of home runs. And Bobby Dahlbeck is a guy who's going to hit a whole bunch of home runs. Uh, he may hurt you in a lot of other ways, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly willing to take risks on guys like that because I think they're really just a lot of fun is the main thing. He's just super fun to watch. He hit a bunch of home runs right when he came up, which was awesome. But, you know, I, I'm not advocating that he's a, a great fantasy asset, but he's a super fun one. And, you know, I think somebody that is worth paying attention to in deeper dynasty leagues. Yeah, he certainly teases out the uh, the extremes of the 3-2 outcome. Yes. Uh, I, I wrote a little ditty for, for the dynasty guru on players to avoid. And he was one of the guys that I wanted to avoid. Now 
conversely, there's a players, there's a players to target, uh, you know, article that, that goes mm-hmm. out in pairing with that. He was also on that. So, you know, <laughs> he, he's going to be a little bit polarizing with that, uh, yep. nigh 40% K rate, uh, looking at you in the face, but the dingers are there. The dingers are certainly there and the opportunity is there right now in Boston, at least until maybe Casas comes up and, you know, supplants him off first base. So, okay. Now, when it comes to playing prospect survivor, I generally am not playing with someone who has just ranked a hundred prospects. <laughs> and, and so I was trying to think about a question that would not just be, well, obviously I would pick the guy I put at 71 <laughs> right. over the guy I put at right. 73, Kyle. So what I want to do is I want to change it up just a little bit. And I want to look to the future and, okay. <clears throat> And this is very. This is also uh, this is near and dear to my heart because the Pirates have the first pick this year, and are certainly mm-hmm. going to have the first pick next year, and well, every year until they win the World Series. But probably, what I want to do is I want to give you three names, and you have to vote someone mm-hmm. off. They they can't come into the finals. You're 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 snuffing their torch. They're guys that are uh, coming down the pipe in the Major League Baseball draft, and it it sort of teases okay. out a little bit of some of your biases. So the three names mm-hmm. are Elijah Green. Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. Who are you taking? Who are you voting off the island? Oh man. Oh man. Uh, not Rocker. I can tell you that. Um, I don't know a ton about Elijah Green. Like I know who he is. Um, I have not seen a ton on him yet. Um, so my gut says him purely because of that. But obviously, I know that you're probably trying to to get me to vote off a pitcher because uh, of my, my pre biases that we've been discussing a handful of times on this show. But I think I am going to lean with voting off green um, because I've, I've seen rocker. I've seen what he's capable of doing. Uh, I, I, I really like him. I think he's going to be, you know, one of the best pitching prospects uh, as soon as he's, you know, in the, in the minor leagues uh, and then lighter, obviously baseball bloodlines never hurts to have that. Uh, he's shown up number one on a lot of draft boards higher than rocker in, in many places. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to take those two guys right now. Um, but ask me in a year when I've seen more tape on them and maybe we'll have a very different conversation. Yeah. Well, you're right. I definitely crafted that to try to tease out like, well, we got this super possible, uh, you know, five tool prep bat. Mm-hmm. And then we have these very established uh, and dynamic college pitchers coming from Vanderbilt. Yep. So a, a year ago, I was, I was just all excited about Kumar Rocker. I thought it was very obviously the case that, you know, the pirates mm-hmm. would, would, I guess I'll use the word earn, though that's not quite the word that makes much sense <laughs> when it comes to the first pick. And then, you know, yeah. Jack Leiter stuff just keeps creeping up. And now I'm just terrified. We're just going to make the wrong decision. And yeah. such is the life of the Pirates fan. But luckily, I don't think either of them are going to be Brian Bullington. So at the, at, yeah, <laughs> at the end of the day, I, I don't know if there's a wrong choice between those two, but I hope we make whatever one is, is the correct choice. I hope we go for Kumar just because I want that star power. And I want a little bit more of, you know, when we had, when we were, when we were going with McCutcheon and we had a guy who was making the, covers of the video games that represented the sport it was a good time to be a pirates fan and i think the city needs a little bit more of that star power doesn't really help you win games but i i I do think he's a pretty incredible pitcher so that's who i'm hoping we get if if the powers that be go with lighter what what you know i'll 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 live with it and i'm sure he'll be a fantastic pitcher as well they both have incredible amounts of promise so 
yeah, that's uh, that's that's sort of what I wanted to do. I think I had to go there for uh, for you specifically, and other people will, you know, they'll just have to get stuck with the ho hum minor leaguers that are already being paid to play baseball. It's funny. I'm looking through my list right now just to see if there were any positional groups that you could have gotten me to change my list on. And like, I see like Braylon Marquez at 71 and Matthew Libator at 76 and Nick Lodolo at 77, three left-handed pitchers. But I'm like, yeah, no, that's that. <laughs> that's the order that I would have them in. You would hope, right, that I'm still looking back at the list and not regretting it yet. Um, you know, ask me in a month, maybe I'll regret some of the things on there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, regarding the guys you're talking about. Absolutely. I think uh, uh, Rocker's so much fun and would definitely add some oomph uh, for the Pirates. But uh, I think both those pitchers are going to be really good. Well, uh, I think we've had some uh, some fun time talking about this list. I want to, again, highlight for the people listening to go and check out the brand new pitcher list. The, uh, the ink is not yet dry, as they say, even though there's no ink whatsoever. And yeah, I mean, we, we just dropped the, the podcast network. If you want to follow, um, what do we got at pitcher list pods? If you want to check out yes. all of them and that'll be just sort of a feed of everything that's coming out. We're going to have one every day of the week, uh, on the farm will be dropping every Thursday. So you can expect to hear from us then. And, and as the season gets going and we get some minor leagues, I'm going to have a little bit more, uh, you know, meat on the bone, so to speak, when it comes to really talking about stuff and, and diving in and, and giving you reports on games that I've watched and stuff of that nature. Uh, and like Andy mentioned, he's on another pod on the Pitchless Podcast Network with uh, Mikey Ahedo, uh, Never mm-hmm. Sunny in Seattle. So yeah, with uh, with all that going on, there is a lot happening at Pitchless. Go check it out. Subscribe. Leave us a rating because we are now off on our own. We are not yes. connected to the Pitcherless podcast feed, so we cannot ride the coattails of Pollock and Fast. <laughs> we, have to, we have to earn those five-star ratings. So uh, please, I encourage you to go on there and, and you know, let us know how you feel. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, it is at CaughtLooking with a V instead of a U, the Roman way. And if you want to check out Andy, it is at Andy Patton, P-N-W for the Pacific Northwest. And the podcast uh, Twitter for us is at on the farm PL. Andy, what's the podcast Twitter for Seattle? Uh, it's uh, oh man, I should know that. Uh, it's never sunny in Seattle. I believe, or never sunny in S E A. Excuse me. All right, at never sunny in S E A. Go check out that if you're a Mariners fan or if you just like hearing two dudes talk about baseball who know what they are talking <laughs> about. Other than that, I think we will uh, we'll just close it out. And uh, like we're very available on Twitter. Hit us up if you want to hear us talk about or go deep on any prospects that you're curious about. You don't have time to watch that MILB TV. Uh, hit me up on either my personal or the or the podcast Twitter, and I will do my best to give you any information I can or anything I can see. But other than that, for Andy Patton, I am Kyle Brown. Thanks so much for joining me tonight, Andy. Yeah, thank you for having me, Kyle. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. And uh, with that, we will be out. Good night, everyone.